On this episode, we talk about logos. I sit down with Patrick Fisher, a logo designer who describes his process, talks about when businesses should consider logos, and pretty much everything else that is involved in the design, the sale of the logo, presenting it to clients, um, and a number of other miscellaneous creative topics. And then at the end, Pat shares 65 of his favorite movies. Just kidding. But he actually shares six more than I requested when I asked for his favorite movie. So stay tuned for that. You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on another episode of the Pursuit of Purpose my name is Chris Kiefer, and I am here today with Patrick Fisher, a logo designer who lives in Minnesota. Pat, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me, Chris. Why don't you um, just kind of give us a quick background on who you are and how you fell into the the work of designing logos? Yeah. Um, so, uh, more you know, more recently, my life has been working um, doing the logo design. It's been somewhat of a side project. I've been working on developing my own, you know, LLC, um, brand as well and everything. Um, but my previous experience was working with a number of different industries and helping them determine what sort of brand identity they'd like to, to have. And then, um, executing that and creating, um, a whole branding, you know, uh, suite, including logos. So, yeah. Cause logos are something to me that, um, at least I feel more recently, and I'm trying to think like historically, obviously people had logos, but it seems like at least since the advent of like computers and computer design and graphic design and all that, it's very common for people to be like, oh, I need a logo for my, you know, new startup. Oh, I need a logo for my dog. Oh, I need a logo for my personal brand. And just like, it seems like logos are being created for everything now. One thing I was thinking, I was just thinking when you were talking about that is I remember when I was in a band in high school and it was like we spent, you know, we were writing songs all the time and that was the big thing, but we would spend hours tirelessly trying to come up with a band name. <laughs> just like nobody, you know, nobody cares about it. But um, yeah, it depends on the industry. I think sometimes as far as how much weight that identity, that, that image, you know, can, can hold. And uh, one of the things I was thinking about when I was thinking about logo design in general, just in preparation for this podcast, is how interesting it is that um, the if you, like the human like letters, just the alphabet, each one is technically a logo. Like it had, it holds so much um, representation to us personally, but it's all a little bit subjective. And then within that, it's all about how you how you present it, you know what I mean? How you would actually show that letter, whether it be font or color or in what, you know, medium. Um, but at the end of the day, we're looking at a bunch of symbols that when working in conjunction means something, but you can even pull just from that image alone, all kinds of meaning. So I was just gonna say at our core, we're interpreting logo identities. And I, I think you're right, There, it, there is a, a movement of like, I mean, you and I have worked with um, dentists, right? And they're like, well, I need a logo. Well, I need a website. And um, 
it's important. It, it's always important to be critical and to, and to be thinking about the purpose behind why you're why you're developing this. It's not always a necessity, and it does have meaning. You know what I mean? It does carry weight. Mm. So do I think that's funny. You mentioned um, the you know, it's a more. It's in my opinion now, after four years in business, um, there's a little bit of um, immaturity around a business or business owner or someone that overvalues um, a brand or a logo prior to developing the product or service that they're doing or that they're creating. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's, it's cool to have a logo it feels good to have some sort of badge, you know? Um, but when you think about the, the purpose of what the logo, like one thing I was thinking about is how different, when you start to expand, so say you're a business, if you start to expand in any sort of quantifiable way, whether it be, you know, you know we open six new locations or we, yeah, we're franchising. Um, and I think even more explicit would be products and how valuable it is to be able to have that visual identity on your product because it's going to be, that's just marketing. You know, even though the product being sold, you would never consider that being like active marketing, but it so is. And you can, so having that identity on there is really important. Now, conversely, if you were um, a doctor um, in a private practice, um, people aren't identifying often with the quality of this conglomerate. It's the name of the doctor that's working on them, right? So it's, it's always interesting when people feel the pressure to have a brand identity because it, it makes a lot of sense. The more that people are going to be seeing and interacting with things that are you, you want to have those like immediately recognizable um, imagery. You know what I mean? Mm. So is a logo something that – I guess my question would be if I'm starting a brand new business um, for – I don't know, babysitting. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm just thinking of babysitting because I now have a daughter. Uh, <laughs> but if I'm starting a new business for babysitting, is a logo something that, um, like, what's the, when should I start considering a logo? Or is it better to just make, like, a quick and cheap one um, initially and then come back and change? Like, is it, would it be better to not really have any type of logo and just go by Chris Kiefer babysitting for a while and then create a brand or a logo? Like what's the, what do you think the correct process is for um, a business that's beginning or, or starting out? Um, yeah, I think it kind of depends on the goal. Um, if you were, I mean, so often it comes down to what is the, going to sound really cheesy but what is the story right what what are you trying to be what are you trying to convey with that image what's the identity behind it and if if you truly are trying to be a babysitter are you trying to be um a babysitter the top babysitter or sorry the top babysitter in your neighborhood or are you trying to make uh 10 bucks a week uh you know over the summer like what like what what are the goals at hand and how could you leverage something like that? I think that it all comes down to those sort of equations. Like it doesn't make a lot of sense if you're only really interacting within your personal group and you want your, and your like, if you were this quote unquote marketing yourself, you know, you want your 
friends to talk about you. It's like, why would you get bogged down in a business name? Give them your name, man. Like, have it just be that recognition. That's a much more important piece, you know? So, I mean, I don't know where it comes into the lifetime, but I, I think it's arguable that, um, you know, if I were, for example, a doctor, because we keep going back to this, or at least I do, um, and I wanted to start to expand my service and I wanted to reach a broader audience outside of just my one location, my one, you know, place, I probably would value the, the logo a lot higher. Now, does that mean that having like a, a really cool um, contemporary, uh, you know, ramen restaurant, that means you don't need a logo? It's like, well, it's still cool. It's still always going to be a part of that identity. And maybe it is better to have it rooted in something like a foundation, but um, I would I, I would argue that until you have multiple locations and then people need to associate in a way that they haven't previously associated, that's you probably don't. It doesn't hold as much gravity. That's my uh, that's my belief. Mm. And it also sounds like what the examples that you're giving is that someone whose business is is them more or less, like a doctor right. or again a babysitter is a little bit different than um, a restaurant where there's not really a person that's like, I want John, I want to eat at John's, right, you know, right. and, and people would say that, but it's not the guy, John, it's like the quality of the food, the way that people dress, like all this other stuff as well. So do you, is your, um, I guess I would say I like what you said that it really depends on what the goal is like yeah. and it's almost starting with the end you know mm -hmm. where are you trying to go how big are you trying to become like what is the day-to-day -day operations look like and that would determine you know whether or not you should invest a significant amount of money into your logo and or brand or just you know get something out there and start selling. Well, I mean, and that's, that's even debatable. Cause when you think about the, the, the leverage that the brands that we admire today, I mean, it's always the funniest thing. Like when it, when it was back when we were doing branding early on, it was like, what's the number one question? Yes. What are some brands you like? Tell me some identities you like. And you know what they say every time? Nike, Pepsi, you know, under, <laughs> it's like, and it's like Apple. yeah right it's like well yeah you love those brands and it makes so much sense because think about like and i i, I actually when i was thinking about this the word lo the word legacy kept on coming back to me and how interesting it is that yeah you mentioned that end goal right what is what am i going to be in the future and i'm going to put so much emphasis on that and i'm going to keep thinking we're going to sit around for hours and come up with this band name and it's like nobody knows their legacy. They can't predict that. And so to even spend, you know, an excess amount of hours, it's like, it's like there's a balancing act that you want to do. You know what I mean? You want to have just enough story that it makes sense and that you feel good about it, but you don't want to waste so much time into this logo when at the end of the day, your business practices, your personality, your whatever else, whatever you intentionally put into that, the brand will inherently represent it. You can't decide mm. that a Nike swoosh is going to be this, it's going to represent, you know, the most badass celeb or celebrities, athletes, being athletic, 
spending a little bit more because you can. You know what I mean? Like things like that that hold this prestige. You that you could not have predicted that back when Phil Knight was in Japan or whatever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's interesting that basically <clears throat> one other way that I would phrase that, what you just said is it's more important to know who you are like internally and then to begin acting that way. And it's almost like the brand will happen. Yes. Um, right. And you can do it with some intentionality. Mm -hmm. um, but actually that's making me think a little bit about uh, something that I feel like is often like uh, combined or it's um, what's the word analogous or not um, people think of it as the exact same thing when they're different but the difference between brand and logo and everyone yeah. thinks if I get a logo I have a brand yeah <laughs> um, but that's not necessarily true right yeah and I, I think there's a lot of um, rhetoric that get people get really bogged down on and as far as I'm concerned um, I typically use the two analogously or now I'm saying weird words I use them interchangeably especially when I'm working with people who are um, they're really just interested in a logo and the reason they want a logo is so that they have that identity recognition that they can put on a letterhead right and that's legit I get that that's that's totally fine but um, if you really want to get down to the core of the brand yeah, you're absolutely right. It comes, it's, there's so much more that is put into the quality of your products, the quality of your services. You know what I mean? The things that you're able to provide to those people, they, it's a circular interaction. Your, your imagery becomes the reflection of your service or business becomes the reflection of your imagery becomes the, you know what I mean? Like it, it's a, it's a compounding mentality. And that's why, you know, you look at, um, even the the best brand, like Coca-Cola, or no, no, sorry. Well, yeah, Coca-Cola for, for sure. But like Pepsi was more prominent when they just, they decided to just change their logo. And the idea was it's a reflection of the times. It's a, you know, it's showing that we aren't static, that we are growing and developing with you, the consumer. It's not so different that it's shocking anybody. And we don't really bat an eyelid at it, but it was a very, you know, that's a conscious decision that needs to be made as an entity. And so it's like that, that piece would not be, would not be possible if the logo equaled the brand. You know what I'm saying? Mm, so I, right, right. So I, yeah, I think that, it, I don't know. At the end of the day, um, people really do take certain things quite seriously and it's more important that the the business takes their identity more seriously than the consumer does because they need to lead the way with that they set that precedence mm -hmm. but um yeah like you you also have to be open to the idea that your legacy will unfold as you put in the best practices that you want to put in you know yeah that's very cool so let's get into the uh process itself yeah, um, let's do it. And your process of designing or creating a logo. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, <laughs> tell me tell me how you work. How does that, if someone approaches you, what's the, what are the steps? Yeah, um, so, and I've, I've, I've talked to, I've sort of mentored, and I have certainly been a, um, 
an appreciator of other mentors around me um, to, enough to, to kind of get an, an in some insight into people's best practices. But what I've gathered from just my experiences and background, the, the, the process that I ended up subscribing to um, was one that established, um, so I'm kind of in that babysitter stage right now. Um, I don't have a logo. I don't have a brand name. Um, my entire marketing has come down to my Instagram account which is my portfolio. Um, I don't have a portfolio anywhere else. I do have a Behance account. I haven't utilized it yet, but I spent a lot of time on Behance. But um, that's how people have found me. And um, so oftentimes they are, in some roundabout way, a personal connection. Um, and so what I did is um, I set up um, a very quick turnaround process. And um, what I'll do is I'll send out a form. And that form has a number of criteria that allows somebody to choose an either or question. And I'll just, I, I actually have it up right here. I can read you a couple of the questions. Um, so it would go, it asks for your basic information. It gets some ideas as to um, you know, what your business is, who, who it serves. And then I go through about 15 questions that ask questions, or sorry, questions that ask you um, things like soft or sharp, classic or future, um, Rolex or Apple Watch. And the whole idea behind that was to create um, finality, right? So, or it has to either be one or the other. So it's, it's uh, binary, it's Boolean. Um, and, uh, but then in addition, I wanted the two options to be, um, both inherently positive. Um, there's really not a right answer there. One is not better than the other. And it allows the, um, it allows my client to be able to go through and they have to choose, which is one thing, but it also isn't a bad thing that they have chosen. So it doesn't corner them. Um, so I send them that and they fill it out on their own time. Um, I also ask a number of different questions that are things like, you know, specific icons, colors, things that maybe people would hold dear to themselves that they would want to make sure is included in this. Um, but I always include um, at least a face-to-face -face meeting or a phone call. And so the reason for that is because I, I believe in professionalism. I believe that it's important to have documentation and paperwork and that everything seems very professional. Um, but I also want to make sure that the person I'm working with feels very comfortable because if they're not able to speak candidly, I'm not going to, that investigation is going to be worthless. I need to be able to understand their desires from this. And so I, I do, I want to come in and I, I oftentimes am, you know, I'll be drinking a beer when I'm talking to him or something like I want it to be as comfortable as possible for this person. Um, so I don't stick to any sort of uh, runway. Um, oftentimes, we don't even get to some of the more rigid questions um, until the very end, almost as an afterthought. Um, but as you know, you and I know, Chris, um, at the end of the day, what we are selling is trust. And mm. if they don't, if they don't feel if they don't feel like I have their best interests at heart, the whole thing's a wash. You know, I never want to, I would, I probably would refuse and I haven't encountered this, um, or not person, not like on my own. I have in, uh, with Sky, but, um, 
I would probably refuse work for somebody that already went in with a competitive, combative um, style of business. Mm. So basically the process, if I were to bullet point this, it's I reach out to you and say, hey, I want a logo. You send me a form with several questions that kind of helps quickly get onto paper the rough direction. You're making me choose between, you know, two equally good options, but have distinct, you know, meaning behind them. After that, you then sit down. We either meet in person um, or over the phone. And then what happens after that? And then, um, and then they don't hear from you for six years. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so <laughs> usually what I'll do is, um, I always give myself a week, just one week. And, um, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, I believe that, um, creativity is not, uh, divine. It is not something that like comes upon you just magically. Um, I believe that it's something that uh, you sort of have to force. And I say that word uh, with a little grain of salt because obviously you don't want to be under the gun and, you know, freaking yourself out all the time. But um, yeah, a big part of my process is holding myself accountable, holding myself to stringent deadlines. And um, I turn around and I, and I deliver the logo. But I'll, you know, I'll go through iterations, I'll ideate, um, but I only deliver one logo. And that was a new thing for me. That was a new decision that I had to make. There was a time where I used to send, you know, here's your three ideas. They're all vastly different. Which one inspires you? And it's like, what can somebody do with that? You know what I mean? That's very, that's such a, mm. that's such a tough level of cognitive and really all it does is it makes that client feel like, well, what am I, what else is there? So you've shown me three, what was number four, you know? And that's like, mm. that's just not a good, you don't want to be putting your, positioning your clients with that. And I think it, it, it can damage the relationship. It can make it seem like you're more of a commodity that you're able to just spit. It's like, okay, spit them out, logo boy. You know what I mean? Like I want to see a couple more and I've been in that place and that's really, it sucks. It's hard. Um, it sounds like what you're describing is a number of times where you <laughs> were in very stressful situations as the creative and you have since created um, processes to basically make it easier. Not It's not like you're trying to find the easy way out. You're trying to make it better for both you and the client. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. There, so there was two instances that I can probably speak to. Most definitely. Um, the first one was uh, an individual who had a very particular uh, tap room idea. And um, he wanted uh, a logo. He wanted an identity. And this was probably one of the first projects I had worked on. And so I came to him with four different, vastly different ideas. And um, he was expected to choose the one he liked the best and then supply additional input and then, you know, think about it later and decide that maybe he likes the other one, you know, all kinds of the messiest it could have ever been. And I remember it eventually 
breaking down to the point where I was sending him emails with three logos at a time and telling him to choose one. That's hard enough um, to be sending him just new idea after new idea. It was ridiculous. And I remember we were down. He was on his own timeline because he needed to get this campaign going. And I sent him one last one. And he goes, yeah, that one is good. And now that's his logo. And now it's an actual business. <laughs> it exists. So it's, it's kind of funny <laughs> that it ended up working out that way. But um, it was, yeah, it was absolutely. How many logos do you think you ended up creating? I think I sent him about nine completely oh completely independent ideas um and that that was all after the initial presentation so that is that is something that you would want to you know you would want to combat as a designer uh one thing that i'm thinking immediately is was the logo that was ultimately chosen better because you made nine or do you feel like um you could have come to a fantastic brand had you just worked on your own process internally and then sent the final version um, to him and said, here's your logo. Um, well, I think that it was important for my own development. Um, did it make it a more successful logo because of that? Um, I don't think so. I think, yeah, I think knowing what I know now using my process, it would have been a, a much, it would have been a greater success and, um, you know, so much of it comes down to, was I listening to this person? Was I able to actually deduce from the things they were telling me tangible steps, tangible ideas and pieces that they needed to be part of this identity? And then within that, if you're just showing people pictures, you can't, you can't win that way. It's, it's, it's sad, but true. You can, you could, I mean, well, it comes down to any identity, right? How can we ever predict when we're talking about ladies? How can we ever predict how cool an image is going to be? You just, it's very complex. You're creating a brand new thing, you know? And so for that person to be able to see it and already get the story behind it is impossible. You have to be able to provide that, which is why um, a huge part of my delivery is, is a, um, I guess it's sort of a justification, but it's you, you are, compiling the things they have told you and you're making it deeper than they probably even thought that it could be. And it just, it changes the game. It's 100%. It's so much different, but you have to have that. Like mm -hmm. as a, as a designer, I think you, we have an obligation to be salesmen. You know what I mean? It's like you, people are like, well, I don't really want to, I'm not very salesy. It's like, what does that mean? Does that mean you don't work? You know what I mean? Like what, <laughs> you just like draw for yourself. Like you have to be able to sell the product that, that exists. Otherwise you don't get to work. In that situation, I think it's important to note that it wasn't like today you now are cutting corners and only creating one instead of nine. Right. I think it's also important to note that there was no form, no uh, structure to the design process when you created nine logos um, and you were basically, someone says, hey, I want to start a lawn mowing company. And you're just like, great. And then you start whipping out logos. Well, how about this? No, how about this? And it's like, he, everyone, including this particular business owner, I would guess, has a rough idea of what they want. Or do you think that's true? And then it's your job to quickly help them like put that into a symbol? And now you're just better at it? 
Yeah, I think it, I think it's not that. I I think there's not very 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 seldom does somebody have an exact idea, and then that's what the designer ends up going forward with. And if that is the case, I think the designer isn't probably wasn't working. It sounds like the client was doing more of the work, and that the um, there. I mean, there's certain things, and so like when I'm doing this form, right? I, I am when I I do take things into consideration when I'm going through it, and if it if it's serious or fun, like that's a pretty easy one to gauge. Like anyone can look at something and be like, it's serious or fun. But as far as like the strict identity behind it, I mean, or the actual shape of that image. I think that there's so many different ways that can be understood to be that person's own, like it came with from within, you know what I mean? And so it's like, I don't know. It's, you're not tricking that person. You're not fooling them into it, but you're encouraging them in a way that makes sense. And I think that that's an important distinction. Um, and the, the, you know what? They wouldn't be they wouldn't be coming to you if they could do it themselves. It's like they want to have something that is important to them, and it doesn't always look like what you would imagine. I don't. I would. I mean, arguably, I would say a lot of times people don't really imagine anything at all. It's just a blank slate. Mm. Okay. So then, uh, what's the? Go ahead and jump into that second example that you mentioned. Yeah, um, working with um, oral surgery um, and a, uh, a doctor that was um, particularly toxic, I would say, in his business dealings. But in all reality, though, it's one of those things that you can't, if you haven't had to work as a business leader, um, it can be it can be a scary environment when somebody's trying to help you build your business. It can seem competitive, and there's a lot of expectation that you need to be somebody that you're not. So I don't I don't really think it's as um, toxic as maybe it felt at the time, but um, there certainly was a cracking of the whip. I mean, the environment was was not unlike the one I mentioned before. Other than um, it, it, we were sweating when we were presenting. Um, and we actually did end up doing pr presentations. And I think that what we were doing was really those preliminary pieces of um, my process now. But instead of fleshing it out early on, we were just showing him stuff, engaging his response, <laughs> which is, I guess is one way. I mean, you could maybe get away with that, um, but it was a lot of work that we were putting into it um, and never really understanding what the end game was until we sort of lucked out. And I remember we had a design that we were just using as a stand-in design. So we were showing like templates of his Instagram and what his website would look like. And we had just stuck this like placeholder logo and he's like, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want. You know what I mean? And so, and it, that mm. one, that one, it didn't have any story, you know, it didn't have any level of, it looked clean, fresh, um, harmless, but I mean, overall it really, the, there wasn't an explanation um, and so, you know, at that point too, you, you would imagine that you would be questioning that individual's reasoning for wanting to have a logo so badly. Um, mm. it's like, how did we get, how did we get here? Right. How did we get to this point? I think that's how we were all feeling <laughs> every time so your particular client would leave. It was sort of like a breath of relief. Right. 
So, so how I, it sounds like the the other thing that you're talking about or is that I'm pulling from this is um, there obviously is value in the experience of the logo designer. Yes, that's I'm so glad. Yes, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, you. Yes, by being a, somebody who is providing that level of um, representing an identity, right? That lends itself a huge amount of intimacy. Mm. Yeah, because I it sounds like, or as I'm thinking of all these stories and how your process has developed, there's a little bit of just um, basically, or how how would I phrase this? It sounds like the in the beginning when you were starting out, you had no experience in logo design. You've never taken a class on logo design. You basically were told create a logo yeah. and you were doing your best to do that. And it was basically through trial and error that you would complete a project and be like, well, that was not efficient or, <laughs> well, that was stressful or, right. well, that was a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. And over time you started saying, again, not, it's not like, I think it's just interesting that you could, someone could be like, oh, so you've gotten lazy or whatever. And I would say, absolutely. <laughs> That's the whole point in life. Like, why would we, and I'm not lazy in the negative sense, but like, why are you making things harder than they need to be? Yeah. And I would say that professionals or the best of the best in the industry still have their own internal struggles when they're, when they're designing, but they have also gotten very good at not exerting energy in places that it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that there's, um, there also comes from, um, uh, I would, I would say I was guilty of underappreciating the value of the service I was providing. Um, early on, I think that I, I certainly was struggling to actually understand um, what it meant to the person I was communicating with. Uh, well, here's another here's another story. Um, I was I remember I was uh, we were working with a metal fabrication company, and um, I needed to make this. They wanted a rebrand, but it was all fairly light, and I ended up spending a lot of time researching their products and trying to find inspiration based on, you know, what already existed. And, um, I ended up doing something that in my opinion looked almost like a high fashion brand. And then I ended up refining it down a little bit more. Um, but one distinguished piece was these two notches that I had seen in their metal when they would cut, there was this consistent like notch shape and it kind of looked like a rectangle that had been skewed. Um, and so I tried to emulate that and include it in and sort of turned it into the letters. And, um, I remember the whole time I was presenting this, I, I thought I had this like super cool thing and I showed it to them and it was like, it was like their old one, but like so new and fresh and just looked awesome and modern. And I was so pumped to do this and I was immediately met with, okay, it was like, I don't, you know, what am I supposed to and the guy, it, it was a father-son, and the son kept on being like, yeah, what's the story? What's the story, man? Like, he kept on, like, saying that, and I was just, like, losing my mind because I didn't know what that meant. I was like, well, what do you want me to tell you a story? Okay, here's how I started, and you know what I mean? I was like, what are you talking about, story, you know? 
And I remember at one point, just right near the end, I said, well, if you can see, um, this is an emulation of that, the, the notches that you guys have. And he just lost his mind. He was just like, oh, that is awesome. That is so cool. And it was like, the second I was able to bring it back to like, no, don't you get it? This is you. This is part of you. In that moment, the, the, the client was like, this is great. This is awesome. And so it's, it, it is like, I guess it is working more efficiently, but it's also like, what even is that relationship to that object, to that image? You know what I mean? Other than does it, does it still connect to what the idea was? And so, um, I think that we, you know, as graphic designers, we can get bogged down because it's like, whoa, you know, it needs to look like a tree and be green and, and all this. And it's like, that's a lot of nonsense. You have to be able to understand these core pieces and then incorporate that back around into it. And that's part of the game, right? Because logos, although they are an artistic piece, they are still... Um, they are still very much um, a representation of basic ideas. And so, you know, they always talk about classic design. It's basically the, the simplest way that an idea can be uh, conveyed. And you continue to refine and refine and refine. And, um, and it's like, well, you got to have a couple of really strong ideas that you're able to stick to and that are part of who that person was or who that person or business is. Mm. So it's one of the things I'm gathering from what you just said there is the what the, that client in particular helped you realize was the importance of the justification of what you're doing, which it sounds like, if you're being honest with yourself, was always there. Like you always are being inspired from something that you see, but it wasn't until this particular client that you realized the importance of verbalizing and and helping the client make the connection. And then that makes it a more palatable or an enjoyable uh, logo for them because they get that. Well, I think that that's part of the, the greater process too. Um, most things in life can be refined down to pieces, just small like parts, you know? And um, yeah, I think that, I think that that relationship, that, um, that communication, the, level of understanding where you where you choose to spend your energy that that is oftentimes better than just like are you a really strong artist mm, definitely how would you describe your style as a designer my style um that's a really good question um i i've always been drawn to things that have a little bit of edge um, it, it might create, it's not always the most like, um, like when you look at it, it's like, you're not just beaming with, with glee. There's usually a little token of, uh, of edge to it. So I've appreciated that. But, um, so my style is, uh, it's, yeah, it's flat. Um, I, I, I subscribe to some pretty, uh, stereotypical logo stylistic ideas. Um, but with each different thing, I, I think I, I like it to be bold. I like it to be simple and I like it to be easily recognizable. Um, I typically don't deal too much with uh, letters and words. I like to have a standalone image. Oh, and it's important to note, I also, um, 
have a strong appreciation for monochromatic um, only because I know at the end of the day, at some point, your logo is going to be in black and white. Does it still look good? Um, if it's on a, mm-hmm. if it's on a billboard, does it look good? If it's on a shoe, does it look good? Like those sorts of things. And so I like to, I like, I'll add color. I, I do provide color to my um, clients logos, but, um, I think it's imperative that the, uh, the logo looks good in black and white. That's a very good point. Yeah. I think that's something that, um, you have taught me was basically the stages in which you present something and make sure that someone's not getting attached to the logo because of, uh, like you said, at, in its simplest form, do you still like mm-hmm. it? Because we can always make it better or like flare it up or add a texture or something. But if this was just like a stamp, are you in, or do you like it still? Right. You know? Well, and so here's another one for you. So the, um, one thing that I've always, I, I can't say that I pride myself in it because I don't know that I'm that good at it. But one thing that I try to do is be able to articulate complex ideas in, into very concise statements, making generalizations almost. And there's an art form to that. And I think that logos in a weird way are a representation of that art form where if you can take somebody's ramblings, they're on, you know, they're going on and on. They're talking about all these things that they like and don't like, and you can start to refine and and articulate simple ideas from that. You're creating really the bullet points that you're going to try to stick to when you're creating that identity. You know what I mean? And so the, the game that is the fun part of logo design that I think sets it apart from other art forms is you you have to think about something at its, at, at its most basic idea, right? You, you take that idea and you continue to make it more and more simple and you're combining it with at least one other idea, you know? I follow a lot of people on Instagram, they do logos and it's like, this is a spoon slash bird idea. And that's literally the whole challenge they do. They just take two completely separate ideas, put them together, you know? fast and uh leaf i don't know whatever you know what i mean the 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 whole point is like you are able to take some very complex things simplify them down and then incorporate them into this image and it's there's a hundred different ways that you can do that and so that's i don't know i think that that's a that's a cool that i think that's cool you know that's a that's super interesting. Is that a, you said this is a, like a, uh, basically an exercise that designers do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think it's an exercise only because whenever I see people do it, it's not actually applied to a real brand. I think it's sort of like a design practice. But yeah. I mean, that's it. I mean, how cool is that? How interesting and, and complex and, and, uh, and difficult is that, you know? Oh, I remember what I was going to tell you. Um, one other thing that I never, it never ceases to amaze me, um, in the process of design. So this is another takeaway. I would say if people were wanting to get some like good ideas on how to be better or smarter or more efficient with design. Um, one thing that I do in my process when I'm designing is I usually spend a good one or two hours just hardcore creating. 
I haven't even like, I haven't sketched anything. I haven't even come up with like bullet points. I, I mean, I just sort of look at the bigger picture, try to like identify a couple ideas and I just work and I just draw and illustrate and, and just boom, boom, like super hard, almost as if I'm on deadline. Like I'm trying to meet this deadline and I am going to lose if I don't get this done tonight. And it sucks. And it's, I think it's one of those things that like, um, from the outside, it's like, oh yeah, you know, you work really hard one night and then, you know, the next day you start to refine that or whatever. And that's, that may be how it looks from the outside. How it feels is like, I'm losing my mind because I can't come up with that cool idea, that spark, that like, you know, whatever brings it all together. And, um, I remember, uh, this book that was recommended to me, it's called a kick in the seat of the pants, um, which is a creative, it's like a, um, how to be, how to help your creativity grow. Um, and one thing that they talk about is the incubate process, which is where you stop, you stop working and you just let it sit. You don't even think about the project. And I think that there is something that happens in the human brain. I, I don't have any science to back this, but if you think so intensely about something for long enough, it'll start to kind of ingrain in your mind. And so you'll, you'll, it'll passively be a part of your day to day because you had put so much effort into it earlier that it's important that you do take a break from it. And I tell you, there's a, there's been so many times that I sat there and I've come up with like six different ideas and I just am like, ah, I'm like, maybe I'm gonna have to go with this one. I don't really know. I just like, I don't feel good about it. And then I'll sleep on it. I'll spend the next day at work. I'll come home and I'll go to it. And I just, one idea completely different, not at all like what I had done before. And that's the one I give to the client. And that happens a lot. And mm. I think that that's, that's a virtue. And I think that comes back to the whole, like, let's keep it in a week, Pat, don't go over a week. And so I make myself have these like extremely intense sessions just for the sake of being able to rest and come back with new insight. You know what I mean? And so I think that's very, I think, no, I've heard a lot of not in the way, well, it's basically the same thing you just said, but people talk about the importance of taking a shower or going for a walk. But what I've never had the emphasis put on before, which I actually really like about what you just said, which is do that, take those breaks, but after a period of intensity yeah, and then kind of release and then let stay, let like your mind kind of unfold. I think that's a very cool insight. Yeah. So that's that. <laughs> what else? You, what <laughs> else you got? Solved all the world problems. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my, I guess the just the bigger question for, and I, I think it's kind of interesting in these podcasts. I never really know what the like, what's the desired outcome for both me and for you. Right. But what I would say for someone listening, if you're interested in logos. Um, for your personal brand, for your own company, for whatever, if you know someone, I definitely would encourage you to reach out to Pat because Pat, you just, the or at least if nothing else, look at his Instagram or portfolio of the various things that he has done. But my question, Pat, how, how much does this, you know, for, if for me to purchase this uh, period of torture that you put yourself through, <laughs> How much do you charge for that? Um, well, um, I, 
uh, for you. <laughs> uh, so I um, I I've been I have a, a two hundred dollar one time fee, and um, that can be an interesting number to sit at. And I think that that decision for me came from a number of different factors. But um, one thing that I did decide on though is I wanted to be on the inexpensive end. And part of that is because I do like working and I like being able to, I don't want the client to be obsessed with the fact that they are spending so much money that they can't properly enjoy the product that they have because it seems like they were hurt so badly by the cost. So that's, I did, I did intentionally do that. I think over time my price will probably increase um, just as a, if there is a demand, you know, if it seems like people like it. Um, but that was, that was a, that was a decision that I, I wanted to be on, on more of the low end. Um, and I also didn't want to charge hourly. And I think that that's another manipulation game that a lot of creatives use. And sometimes it's unavoidable. I get that. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate to not have to, uh, rely only on my creative work in life, um, to make money. But, uh, yeah, I, I wanted it to be a situation where I'm coming in and I'm telling the client, look, here's how much you will spend. Here's if like, for example, they wanted additional content, like uh, business card, uh, uh, letterhead, those sorts of things. Um, those are a flat cost as well. In addition to that. Um, but you don't pay until you are satisfied is what I say. And every time I've worked with somebody, they pay me before I'm even done. And I think that so much of that is that they, they still, okay, this is going to get kind of philosophical, but they were still satisfied. It's just that satisfaction had come earlier in the process than just the deliverable. Because in reality, it's the process that people are paying for. It's not that end logo. And I think that that's the, the thing that, that oftentimes eludes people is, and actually, that doctor that I was talking about, that surgeon, he said, probably said it best, where he kept on telling us, well, if I'm not satisfied, I can always just go down to the printing company and just ask them to kick out a couple logos for me, and they'll do it. And he said that to my face, you know what I mean? And it was like, he, it was constantly bullying and everything, but he was right. It's like, you, I'm not providing him logos, I'm providing to him a very specific experience. So um, anyway, the point is that I like to create um, the trust. Um, I, will, I like to put them at ease very early on. I never want it to feel like it's like, look, this is my process and this is what I do. Although I do have that, that I do have a process and I stick to it, but I never want them to feel like um, they're getting themselves into something that they can't get out of or that they're trapped or that, you know, whatever else sort of hesitancy that somebody would have. I like to just get rid of that all right off the bat. So that's the that's how much I I charge. If anybody's interested, the uh, uh, my Instagram tag is uh, Paterfish, P A T E R. So do you have a, another method um, that you also would encourage people to reach out to you through? Um, so I think my email address is on my Instagram. I can't remember, but I think okay. it is. But um, so one thing that I never undervalue is people's search for um, learning and to ask for help. And um, I do it all the time. There's been times where I've just been driving or I've been riding on the bus 
and I'm on um, Behance or some other thing and I'll see somebody's project that they did and it's a really cool style and I will email them directly and be like, how'd you do that? And sometimes they're really generous and sometimes they're like, can't help you. You know, it just depends. And I am not the type of person to tell somebody, like I always love the opportunity to be able to share some insight into how to be, how to do something that maybe you couldn't previously do. So yeah, feel free to reach out to me. I, I really have no problem at all. I, I love uh, talking about this kind of stuff. It's one of my favorite things. And for those that don't have Instagram or can't figure out how to use that, um, what is your email? Uh, it's going to be uh, P.T. Fisher. So P as in Patrick, T as in Thomas. That's my middle name. Don't use it against me. P.T. Fisher 1010 at uh, gmail.com. So P.T. Fisher 10. And Fisher is F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Correct. Right? All right, we'll include that in the show notes as well. Um, one of the, this is kind of just a random anecdote on Pat's design stuff, but this podcast actually, the cover photo, it's not really a logo, but it definitely is a, a brand element. Um, and I reached out to Pat and um, initially the, for anyone that saw the first iteration of this, I didn't really know what I wanted to call this podcast and I basically just had a C and a K on a black, white background, black letters is like Times New Roman, like the most simple non-design, um, non-designy looking cover photo for a podcast. And um, I haven't told you this yet, Pat, but I just was talking to someone yesterday and they said like, well, wow, I'm really excited to be on this. It sounds like... Um, Things are going really well. Looks like the podcast is really taking off. And I just stopped and was like, um, yeah, I mean, it's going great. Um, why do you say that? <laughs> because I was like, I was thinking I'll, I'll share my own thoughts in a second, but I was curious what they were saying. And she said, well, I, I mean, it just looked like the photo that you have on your podcast now. It just looks so good. And um, you got like a little um, intro now. It just seems like uh, you're doing really, really well. And I just was laughing and I, I told her, well, you know, it, it's always easy when you know the right people. Mm -hmm. But um, to me, though, I think that's a great example of the power of branding elements um, and just taking a little bit of extra time when you're doing something to think how does my logo or my image or the first thing that someone encounters, is that implying a level of quality or is it implying like shit <laughs> basically? And I knew something I'm very passionate about is just, you have to start at just start working, start creating podcasts, start creating an episode, whatever it is that you're doing, even for your background pattern, just like start designing then work on refining, developing the process further, make a portfolio, make a website, start promoting yourself. And there's there's all steps in that, but I just thought it was really funny. And also, again, just another testament to uh, your design ability that someone just said, this must be a great podcast because it looks professional. It looks more legitimate, yeah. Well, um, well, I appreciate that. Um, but I was going to say, I spend a lot of time looking at just general 
artwork. Um, I like looking at, um, like for example, Dribble, which is three Bs in the middle, for those of you interested in that, um, Behance, Instagram, anywhere that I can go and look at designs. And, and I like that because it creates sort of a, um, a flat, uh, there's no like hierarchy, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you'll see like certain things that are obviously for some um, large, like larger brands, but um, it's just a, like, I like just looking at what people are doing. You can start to see trends. You can start to see where people are, you know, starting to be interested in and you can draw and make those generalizations and then you can continue to stay up with certain stuff. So like, for example, with yours, I just spent a couple, you know, a couple of minutes looking at some of the top podcasts, um, ones that seemed more in you, this area, in this industry. And, um, and so it's like, there's a lot that's drawn from that to create something that is its main purpose is to convey that this is a good podcast and it's good for people that are interested in this topic. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, there's mm. a lot, cause it's like, would I have designed that if somebody just goes, look, I need a podcast cover and I didn't know anything about it. Probably not. It all comes back to being right. able to have that understanding. So the the last uh, couple questions I have for you here, um, what um, what does success look like for you personally? Oh man, seriously, what does it? Look? A philosophical question. Yeah. Um, I think success more and more has been feeling to me like um, autonomy and freedom. And the, you know, the liberation of being able to take the reins of my own life. And I think, you know, so often I felt like I was afraid of opening too many doors and having, like starting my own business, right? Like that's something I've always just said, no, 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 that's not for me. Other people do that. That's not really for me. And I still am like, there's inklings of that. But I can feel myself getting closer to it because, and of course I use the word business loosely, I am technically, I have a business, you know what I mean? Like I'm making money based on things that I'm providing. So I, at the end of the day, I'm doing it, but I know that I'm becoming more comfortable with that. And I think that it's not only having the freedom to do what you want, but it's being confident in the fact that you can six or that you will, you'll be able to do it, um, you'll succeed in it you know i'm kind of using succeed now it's coming back on itself but does that make sense like i i feel like there's an additional piece to having the freedom to do what you want to be doing in life you have to also feel comfortable with that and that requires some experience you know mm. yeah i know i think i know i understand what you're saying and um in my own opinion and actually i just spoke with a founder, um, that episode is probably going to be live by the time this one is, um, of a uh, technology company. And basically he said, um, that in order to be a business owner, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Oh yeah. Um, that's, that's <laughs> so good. the, uh, the only thing to just plant a seed in your head is that I don't know if anybody ever truly just feels confident, or at least I would say it's almost, um, it's a con I know what you're saying. It's a confidence in your ability to figure things out and survive, right. but you're constantly not confident about the situation you're mm -hmm. in. You're only confident that you will 
problem solve somehow, some way you'll meet someone, you'll talk to someone, but you have to, you just start relying on the process and the, you know, the skills that you've developed over the time. But I know what you're saying. So much of, you know, so much of everything is being able to throw Like you learn fastest when you position yourself in places where the likelihood of failure is super high and you, and then you do screw up, you know what I mean? You blow it. And it's like that, that stuff, that, that is the most, that's the best. <laughs> that's, you know what I mean? Like, how can you not have that? And I see, I feel, you know, people spend so much time avoiding pain and it's like, gosh, just think about the, it's almost like you have to think like, okay, I, but the story is going to be great. <laughs> 30 years down the line, we'll be laughing. <laughs> It'll be great, you know, but I don't know. It's uh -huh. so important to do that. All right. What is one purchase in the last six months that you have made of less than a hundred dollars that has significantly changed your life? Well, this is going to sound super lame, but, um, I got to, <laughs> actually, that's not even a hundred, hundred dollars. Um, I, it was probably the new pair of running shoes that I got <laughs> recently. <laughs> I, uh, I really like running. I like that being part of my life. And, um, I've just, I always struggle. I have a little bit of, a um, a pain in my knee that I've had for a while. And so whatever I can do to help take care of that, aside from stopping running, <laughs> probably could do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I like, I like having the freedom to be able to just go out and run. And so getting the new shoes was a smart move. The ones I had before were, they had no support and they were, absolutely toast it was like my toes were poking out of them and book recommendations do you have a favorite book or books mm -hmm. you can i'll either let you decide whether you want to go all time or just recent past um i always do recent past because i um all time is overrated it's impossible um so i put um the first one is, uh, and I just wrote, I wrote them down in the order that they came to mind, but um, All Marketers Are Liars, which is the Seth Godin book. And um, that for me, when we were, you know, I was reading all of these uh, books on business and marketing and everything else. And that one to me really spoke because he has such a great way of telling stories and was very interesting and uh, unconventional and uh, irreverent and everything. So it was a lot of fun. Um the second one I put down um, was actually a recommendation that Chris brought to my attention, which I guess was a recommendation from Bill Gates. Not personally, obviously, but he put that out there. It's just Steven Pinker's The Better. No, no, and Bill yeah. called me and told me to read it. <laughs> uh, the said, thanks, Bill. I'll add that to the top yeah. of my list. You're like, Bill, you got to stop calling me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can you text me yeah, next time? Yeah, it's awkward. Um, uh, but The Better Angels of Our Nature which is huge. And, um, to be fair, these are all books that I have, or at least the, the uh, the all marketers are liars in this one. I listened to using audible. Um, but that one was just a treat. Um, it's extremely dense, goes into all these scientific studies and is the whole premise is about how violence is decreasing in our world today. Just if you look at history. Um, but man, it was, I just, every time I, oh, I still to this day, I listened to it this morning, actually, not the whole thing, which is like part of it. And, it's such a it's such a wealth of interesting interesting information. So I just I've always enjoyed it, and I like his storytelling as well. And then I did put down one more. So this is interesting. I am in the process of reading this, um, and I was reading it on an app on my phone, 
and uh, I think I'm going to just buy the physical book because it's so cool. But it's called The Illusion of Life. And it's basically, I think it was written by a Disney employee. And um, so I, I have an interest in uh, animation. And um, the uh, he's basically simultaneously going through uh, animation uh, tactics or animation strategies with how to make, like, convey certain emotions and stuff like that. And simultaneously having that parallel the history of Disney and why they came up with those different ideas and why it was important to convey things differently and adjust how animation was done. And I, it is so cool. I love it. And so I actually want to get it because I would really like to be better at animation and uh, my handwriting or my, my, uh, if I draw by hand, it uh, looks so bad. I'm an illustrator boy. Sweet. And then movie. This one I do want your all time favorite, mm -hmm. which is difficult for movies. I understand, but yeah, forcing you to make a decision. Yeah. And again, no such thing as all time. All time is fake. Um, but, um, <laughs> so you're gonna, so I got, I actually wrote down five different movies and, um, I'll read all of those off at the end, but, um, I do want to say, and I know you specifically said, don't do this one, but the Godfather, I recently, and the only reason I say that is I recently revisited it. I got this book and it was basically the book, The Godfather with the script around it. So Francis Ford Coppola had gone back and basically dissected the book and wrote his ideas in the pages and they turned it into this massive book. And um, I started reading into it and then just basically going into the history and his ability to create this period piece that's based on a uh, demographic in America, the Italian Americans, um, and getting that insight that is so specific to that time period and the situation around it and basically the hurdles he had to go through as a director and everything to create it. Um, it just brought whole new meaning. Um, I rewatched the movie recently and, um, and actually part one and part two, I feel like you have to kind of watch together. Um, just really, really cool, cool, um, style, cool, everything. And then in addition, the historical relevance that it holds. So that's my thing. I know you told me not to say the Godfather, which I was kind of sad, but I had to just say it in addition you know it's funny you know it's funny i just interviewed an orthodontist yesterday and he also said the godfather who's like it's my guilty pleasure um <laughs> so apparently that's just the i this is crazy i have never sat down start to finish watched the entire godfather part one and part two um so i think i need to just do it i've seen i feel like i've probably seen 70 to 90 percent of the movie you know just various yeah. times um, but I've never like sat down and made it a thing. So I, I think I have to do that. <laughs> um, but then I also wrote down um, City of God, uh, Children of Men, um, Psycho. I put down Psycho because that movie was actually really scary. And not often do I watch movies from, you know, so long ago that were uh, that actually were pretty creepy. So that, that that's a good one. And then... Um, Another historical one that I watched that I really liked was Rosemary's Baby. Um, and that was a cool one because technically it was a horror movie. I thought the ending was kind of lame, but um, technically it was a horror movie. But there was so much cultural relevance with that as well. Like a huge part of it is the woman, the main character in it, is being sort of dismissed because she's just the housewife. Um, so it's cool. And then um, that's not cool, but the, the idea is interesting. Um, and then... Um, yeah. The only other one that I was going to say that I, I do enjoy, 
Um, sorry, I, I, I'm so bad at this. People ask me my favorite movie all the time. Um, the Unknown Known, which is a documentary, uh, Errol Morris, I love that movie. Um, and then the last one I will say, just from like a design standpoint, if you are creative and you like that sort of thing, um, this movie called A Single Man. Uh, it was the first movie that was directed by Tom Ford, who's a fashion designer. Um, and just the whole thing beginning to end, it almost plays like a short film. It seems short because it's such a brief chapter. Um, but I just thought it was beautiful and, um, yeah, very, a lot of cool ideas. It was a great little, great little film. So there you go. Movies. You asked for it. So if I, yep. And so now I'm going to, uh, give a slight background, but I think an interesting thing with movies or just recommendations in general is that we all are so busy and everyone has lots and lots of suggestions on things that we should watch and books we should read and places we should go. And I think that there's something powerful knowing that if you really make a decision on one suggestion, you're obviously having to sacrifice and give up other things that are also mm. good. But of those movies that you listed, and you can take into consideration some of them maybe have been recommended by others or are more popular or whatever. If you were to give one movie of someone listening, like, you have to watch this. It's going to be worth your time because I know you only have two hours and you can only watch one movie. What would it be? Uh, <laughs> I would say Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which I know I didn't say initially, but that is my favorite movie, I think. I think that that is a perfect film. Sorry. I'm way off the script now. Yeah. Coming coming from the guy who only gives you one yeah. logo. <laughs> and here's ten yeah. movies. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> awesome. Well, Pat, thank you so much for uh, your time today. And yeah, um, yeah. yeah, this has been fun. And I appreciate your insight as always. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. This was a blast. Um this is good. It was it was good to get everything to actually think about this stuff. I feel like I don't ever say it. So, thank you everyone for your attention and listening to another episode of the Pursuit of Purpose. Your feedback and comments mean the world to me. If you liked what you heard, take a second and leave me a five star review on iTunes. If you've got suggestions for future episodes or want to say hi, you can shoot me an email at Chris at chriskiefer.net and don't forget I make it a point to include all of the links to the books, movies, and resources that were mentioned in this episode in the show notes. You can find those notes directly in the episode description or on my website at chriskiefer.net You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people.